This is the Cubicle Renegade podcast session number seven. Seven. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host, Caleb Wojcik. Hey everyone, today we're joined by Jamie Tarde, founder of Eventual Millionaire. And did I say your last name right? What, how did you say it again? Tardy? Yes. <laughs> Tardy. Do some people say Tarde? No. Do they? No, nobody does. That's No, that's just you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie has a really interesting background that includes paying off $70,000 worth of debt, leaving her high-paying traveling project management job. She started her own coaching business, and now she runs a web show where she interviews millionaires uh, based on if their net worth is over a million dollars, and she's done over 90 interviews. So thank you, Jamie, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Caleb. Absolutely. So let's start way back. Like, where did you grow up, go to school, get your first job, those types of things? Ooh, my first job. I haven't been asked that question before. Um, I grew up in Maine. And I usually wait for people to go, oh, yeah, like Maine. Okay, that's a state that people live in. Awesome. Uh, so I know it's sad. There's not, there's about a million people in Maine. And so I grew up in a really small town. Um, my first job, like technical job was for April vacation. I swept streets. So street sweeper. Yep. Yep. That was good. And then I was, I picked up golf balls. That was my know? first job. Yeah. That sounds driving range. see than dirt. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't the best job ever, um, but it is funny because I I wanted to work at a young age. I really enjoyed working. Well, I enjoyed money from working, not necessarily doing street mm-hmm. sweeping, but it was it was definitely awesome. Um, but yeah, going growing up in Maine was sort of hard because it seems very isolated. There's not a lot of um, resources. Thank goodness we have the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I still live in Maine now too. And so. What did you do in like high school and college? What did you start dabbling in professionally? I was an art girl, <laughs> which is really funny. I was voted um, the best artistic, most artistic in my class, which is kind of funny. Nobody really knows that about me. I actually went to college for medical illustration at first, and then I switched over to IT because I, I worked at an internet service provider when I was 16. I was a huge geek. I really wish I bought a ton of domain names then. That would have been yeah. really smart. Not so smart, but I used to fix computers and stuff like that. And so I went from art and realizing that if I went to college for art, I would make a cap at maybe 50 grand a year. And I was paying about 40 grand a year to learn how to draw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, was, I don't think this is a good investment. It's never a good equation, yeah. So I could do that on my own. How long is this going to take to pay off? And so after about the first quarter, I switched to IT, which was really easy because there wasn't a lot of females. And I was going to RIT, which is all about information technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it became easy to me. Computers just made sense. And so I started doing that, which was fun. So were there any, like, entrepreneurial people in your life, like your parents or extended family that were entrepreneurs that pushed you towards doing stuff on your own or no? No. Well, my um, my dad was a musician professional musician for a long time, long-haired hippie for a very long time. Um, and so he always, and then he had to work because he couldn't make enough doing that. And so mm-hmm. it was sort of interesting because he always used to say, work for yourself. Like never have a boss, work for yourself because he had a boss and wasn't really happy with it. I didn't have any influences of people that were doing that though. So I assumed I had to go to college. Like my dad was like, you don't have to go to college. And I'm like, you don't understand dad. In this world nowadays, we have to go to college. 
Right. Now I'm like, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea. But I learned the hard way in lots of lots of debt from college. Right. So it's one of those things where I wish I had that influence beforehand because I think it would have been a much easier path. I hear, and after interviewing so many people, looking at their background and knowing what they had to start with, like I feel like I had an entrepreneur spirit back then I was one of those little kids that had like I lived in a town with 2,000 people yet I would be mm. at the front of my driveway trying to sell books and lemonade and whatever right. pictures and everything because I, I love doing that but I didn't have anywhere to cultivate it whatsoever and it's neat to go back like through the interviews I'm writing a book and I'm going through and surveying people and one mm. of the questions is like are were your parents entrepreneurial because that is a huge asset because mm. son who's six right now is already making money selling granola bars at our karate <laughs> like good money too he'll come in and open the thing and be like i got seven dollars in here from granola bars he's got a really good profit margin because you know <laughs> so it's really interesting that he now understands this at six imagine mm -hmm. it's going to be later on so yeah i was always jealous of the kids who had parents that really pushed them on you know it was like holiday wrapping paper and like random door-to-door -door stuff because they were like it was they were like pushing them to be entrepreneurs like looking back i'm always i'm like envious of those kinds of parents you know which is so funny well and i hated sales like i when i got out of high school before i went to college i took a year off because i graduated when i was 17 and mm -hmm. i worked for kirby vacuum cleaners vacuum cleaners yeah, nice. right uh did you go door-to-door -door and sell them yeah, it was so bad. And I was 17, this 17-year-old girl, like, knocking on random people's houses. That's a good idea. But I got so, I hated sales. It felt icky. It felt, it set up this belief in my mindset that sales is bad, and all I'm trying to do is get you to buy something that you don't actually want or need. And that's mm -hmm. not good. So that was really not a good way to set that up at all, which is very different from, like, I interviewed Yannick Silver, huge, you know, multimillionaire, really impressive guy. And his dad had him going out door to door when he was really young, like 13. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I hated it at the time, but I learned so much. It was ridiculous. Right. I ended up quitting Kirby. I really wish I sort of stuck with it, at least with sales, to know a lot more. It took me finding my mentor who taught me ethical selling, which was much better mm -hmm. <laughs> than here. I want $1,000 from you and you get a vacuum cleaner. Right. And then I, so that way you don't change your mind. Um, very, very different ways of going. And, and Yannick, you can tell, got that background really, really early and used it to his advantage. Huge asset that you could have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So quick story. My mom did buy a vacuum from someone that came to our door when I was a kid. So that's a very quick story. So so you, you went to school for IT and what was your first job after college? I worked full time through college. Okay. I worked at a I did tech support for a long time, and then I was the first female in the network operations center, which is fun. And uh, it was it was actually a really cool job. I love telling people about it because it was all dark. There's no windows, and all we had was screens up of the United States. And if it was green, that was good. If it mm -hmm. was red, we had to do something. And it <laughs> looked cool, but we just we had the poker channel, you know, on, and that's pretty much all we did. When it turned red, we did something, and then otherwise we're just watching poker. So it was a really good job, but it's funny because I remember going, and it was hard working full-time and, and going to school. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, I'm not learning enough. This is boring. This sucks. Like, why would I just do this? And I made like 40 grand a year when I was in school, which was great. Jeez. But getting out of school and realizing that I really thrive on 
learning and doing something challenging was really important, especially because the job I ended up getting right out of school, it was a six-figure job, I was 22 years old, it was really hard. It was really challenging. It was really technical, and I was like, oh, wait, maybe I don't really like this either. And so I did that for quite a few years to go. I wanted to master it or get really much better than I was to just sort of prove mm-hmm. that I could rise to the challenge. I ended up getting promoted um, within a year to a project manager and doing a whole bunch of things with that, travel around the country. But having this realization like, this is not what I want to do. This is not where I want my life to go. I gained like 25 pounds because I had a $50 expense account every day and just bought food with it. Mm-hmm. I stayed in hotel rooms and it sounded glamorous to everybody else. Like, you're making so much money and traveling. And it sucked. It was miserable. Yeah. And I didn't see that. And it was really sad. Like, I worked, I went to school, worked my ass off, my butt off. I don't know if we're allowed to say um, And... <laughs> And had this thing that I didn't even want. Right. And it was really disheartening. And I sort of really had to go back in and go, well, now what do I really want? Which is hard because we don't. So was there, was there a moment then? Like, can you remember like a day when you thought of it? Or was it kind of like a progression of you were reading things and started thinking differently? <sighs> well, it, it, it was a bit of a progression. Like, it was this point where going like, there's got to be something more. But there was a specific moment because me and my husband wanted to have kids. And I mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to, number one, I can't travel with a baby, mm-hmm. no way. Um, and I don't want to be doing this at all. Now Now that I have a child to go, I need to show him what, you know, and be able right. to do what I do too. So he was a catalyst, a huge catalyst. But again, like you said at the beginning, we were in $70,000 of debt. My husband was a professional juggler and I made six figures. <laughs> And so me quitting my stable job to quit and be with baby didn't really and figure out what I was going to do. Seemed to was he on board from the beginning? What was that? Was he on board from the beginning of you quitting your job? Uh, yeah, he did not. I complained about my job <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and he would he would travel, and they would like call me up on a Friday and go, "You need to leave right now." And he'd be like, "We have plans this weekend," and I'm like, "I have to go." So he didn't. He wasn't a big fan either. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was just like, quit. I'm like, well, what, I'm, what are we going to do? And he's like, mm-hmm. no, just quit. So he was a little more, and I'm like, no, we don't do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> not what we do. Yeah. Very analytical and very by the numbers. And I'm looking at the numbers going, yeah, there's, there's no way. So, so having that realization that the only way I could quit is to pay off 70 grand in debt. Mm-hmm. But then not having my husband on board for that at first because he was like, well, why pay all that off? You know, why don't we um, live for today and mm-hmm. you know, make more money? And mm-hmm. it'll. But it was it was really important for me to clean up the mess that I had made before, especially that student loan, because I was looking to switch industries completely, and I didn't want to have IT degree loans just sitting there and not even using it. So it really right. took some time to go. Okay, what well, what can we do with this debt? How can we get rid of it? So that way I don't have to worry about it anymore because it was, it's ridiculous. I, we made great money. There's no way, no reason why we did that. And we had two houses at the time, which was also stupid. And so what was something that you did to help shift his mind a little bit towards, oh, we should pay off this debt? Was it a book or a resource or conversations? What was it that did that? Wow, nice one. Uh, the first thing I did was I read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover mm-hmm. that everybody knows about. 
and or most people know about. And so I read that book and I was like, wow, I'm really stupid. I thought I was smart, but I'm, I don't have any common sense reading the book. <laughs> it's always good when you have those epiphanies. And so one of the chapters in that book was all about selling your car. And two months before we had decided to do this, we bought a brand new $20,000 car. And it was nice. And I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going out to my husband after reading this and went, I think we should sell the car. And he was like, so you had it for two months at that point? Like, four miles on it, really. Like, we didn't even drive that much to the airport and back. That was it. Um, yeah. And you hear, as soon as you drive it a lot, you know, you lose so much money. And he was like, yeah, we're not going to sell that. Like, mm -hmm. we bought it. And I had also had some personal attachment to it because I pictured, like, bringing my son home from the hospital in it. Not, I wasn't even pregnant at the time, but that's mm -hmm. what you Oh, but this is the car, the perfect family right. car was a Honda Civic. And it was nice, and I liked it. But having that realization that that car was stopping me from getting what I actually wanted in life was huge for me. And then telling my husband and not having him on board was like, this sucks. You don't. Right. And so what I ended up doing was I go, okay, don't have to read the book. Just read that one chapter. That's it. And I was like sitting there waiting. Like, Read it like wait the book like you're gonna know you're gonna say yes at the end. I was so hoping. I had no backup plan, so I was really hoping. Mm -hmm. And seriously, he came out and was like, "I think we should sell the car too." And it was like interesting. Thank goodness. <laughs> and we sold the car. We only lost a thousand bucks on it. So that's not bad. Because yeah, like you were saying, people think you lose so much when you drive off a lot. And I guess if it's that quick of a turnaround, you don't lose that much. Well, and we had already we had it for two or three months by the time we sold it. And lost thousand dollars. It's not. It wasn't bad at all. So yeah, thousand dollar lesson. Yeah, it was a thousand dollar lesson. I loved it. I was like, we only lost a thousand dollars because I was thinking like seven. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know in my head. It's a, mm -hmm. how good could it be with a trade in? Because we didn't even sell it outright, which was also kind of dumb. But mm -hmm. the, and everything. It was. It was a good idea. It was. Definitely so as you were paying down this debt, you were still working at your traveling job, even though you didn't like it. Oh yeah, I would work more I would travel more because every time I went on site I would get a bonus so I was just gone I was like where do you need mm -hmm. to go? yeah I'm gonna go uh, <laughs> it was seriously like $40 extra a day when I was on site plus I would get um, expense so I wouldn't have to eat at home mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really difference for that it was a pain in the butt because I was gone all the time my husband took on extra jobs and did as much as he possibly could we worked a ton and mind you after two months or three months after we started getting out of debt, I got pregnant. So I sort of had a ticking time of going, oh, no, we have to do it by then. Right, um, right. He was um, going to be born in December of that year. So we were sort of, we're all gung-ho for that. And so what are some things that you decided to live without? Like, a new car was obviously one of them. What were some of the other sacrifices that you guys made financially? Everything. I'm pretty, like, I'm not high maintenance, right? I can, I can do whatever. I'm not into a lot of materialistic stuff, thank goodness. Like, a lot of that debt wasn't stuff which was good but it's also hard because you're like oh i don't have a lot of stuff one so it was a car loan student loans and was there any more there's a home equity loan home equity okay so when we bought our house it was about 20 something thousand dollars when we bought mm -hmm. that technically i didn't really have to pay it off but it was a variable interest loan and i didn't like that i thought that was funny. right so yeah it was kind of it was an interesting thing going through like i thought i was pretty minimalist like we don't we never had a lot of stuff but mm -hmm. looking at our stuff and going, oh my gosh, we had 
the Christmas before I had bought my husband a $3,000 Jeep CJ7. We love like off-roading and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was like his baby. And I'm like, yeah, I think we should sell that too. <laughs> sell the new car, but we sold that. I'm like, you can always buy another one later. Um, we ended up getting rid of so much stuff. The grocery budget was pared down to like almost nothing. Um, we didn't buy anything, no haircuts forever. Like that's, you know, the typical stuff that everybody needs to do if they're if they're really gung-ho and trying mm-hmm. um but i knew it was the why the reason why was so much more important than that so it wasn't that big of a deal i thought it was a challenge and i like and how long did it take well, you what was that how long did it take you uh 16 months total okay that was so to pay off the debt and build an emergency fund okay and so you got to 16 months and you had already had your son by then I thought and then... I was going to quit as soon as I had him, but we didn't have everything paid off. I kept money just in case something went wrong, you know, mm-hmm. in the hospital or anything like that. So we kept a bunch of money, um, and then I quit a couple months after I went back to work. Okay, so you went on maternity, you came back, worked some more, you got to the point where you had an emergency fund, you cut the cord, and then what happened? We even had enough money to buy a car with cash right after that, which was kind of crazy. Like... Everything sort of the world transpired to making things okay for us. Like tax mm-hmm. refund, everything started coming in, and we were like, "Oh wow, we're doing pretty well." Mm-hmm. So we quit, and I have a baby who has colic horribly bad and not a happy child. We were in the hospital for things, and mm-hmm. it was not fun. But that was the point that I thought I was going to find what I wanted to do. I personally love to work, so I, I wasn't going to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to work about twenty hours a week. And I, what I ended up doing was doing some project management work for my friends who had this viral video online for Diet Coke and Mentos. Oh, okay. They're kind of fun. I got a letter with them. It was It's fun. It's fun knowing crazy people. Um, I like all your random connections to people. They live yeah. 10 feet away from me. So, so I Everyone's just, in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. It's random. They live in Buckfield, Maine. Buckfield, Maine. Um, it sounds like it would be in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> but I, but I, it's really neat. So I was able to sort of do that a little bit, 10, 20 hours a week at the most, um, to try and give me some time to figure out what I wanted because I don't recommend that, number one. I recommend starting something before. But because we were so passionate about paying off that debt, um, I didn't start anything on the side, which, again, I really should have. I really right. should have been going beforehand because it took a while to get anything going after that. Um, which worked out well. We were really good with getting Matt's, my husband's income up, um, and our bills were so low that it didn't matter so much. We paid off all the cars and everything, but mm-hmm. it was a little not fun. And then when did you start Eventual Millionaire? So I started as a business coach um, way before. The domain Eventual Millionaire, I bought when I was getting out of debt. So I was like, and I started blogging. I lost my blog. <laughs> It got hacked, and so it was a good year of blogging. And this was way back when blogging was new. And if I would mm-hmm. kept going from then, oh, it would be so much better than I am now. So much better. But it's funny to sort of think. So I did that for a year. It got hacked, and I just said, "Fine, never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pursue that anymore." And I forgot about it for a really long time. And then I started becoming a business coach. I found a mentor who taught me everything he knew. Taught me about ethical mm-hmm. selling. I had a bunch of clients locally, but because I was only working 20 hours a week, it was a little ridiculous because I live in Maine, and in Maine, you have to drive long periods of time to get 
to prospect to get to see mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I spent so much of my time driving and I sort of had an epiphany of going, I have a degree in IT. I know all about internet everything. I mean, not that much online marketing, but in general, I'm like, why am I not doing anything online? Mm-hmm. Leaving uh, my mentor, starting a venture millionaire and just going, I'm just going to start this blog and see what happens with it. Because I didn't really have any specific um, goals. I just I didn't know if I'd be doing business coaching with it. I actually had started it out with a different business coaching site, but I mm-hmm. no, I just started really liking it. And I mean, six months after I started the blog, CNN picked up the blog, and so I was. Like, Were you already doing millionaire interviews then? No, I wasn't even doing interviews then. So you were just writing content. I was writing content all about getting out of debt, which gotcha. didn't do with business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like I figured that's how I was going to learn. I was more of just a financial blogger talking about getting out of debt, how I paid off 70 grand. Um, and so CNN contacted me for that story, how I paid off mm-hmm. $70,000 in debt. And then I was on their website, then I was on their TV show, and it got picked up by Yahoo. So my face was on the homepage of Yahoo, which was fun. Cause got people from like high school going, oh my gosh, I see your face on the home. <laughs> so, you're, so you're getting all this traffic and... Yeah. Like, Are you converting this traffic at this point? Let's bring that up. That's a good. <laughs> so I had a horrible host wish hosting. So as soon as, you know, my face is on the homepage of Yahoo, my site goes down. Right. And so, and I had spent a lot of time before actually getting an email list. I didn't have an email list or anything like that. So I, I had read all about it. I took, I had some of the kids where I had, yeah. I had kids then. I had someone watch the kids while I made like an ebook and I did all this stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was really sad. But it, it this is even more sad. So you think I would have learned my lesson, right? Like, oh your site went down, but you got all this traffic. Upgrade. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever happen again. Yeah, that's what smart people would do. Two <laughs> <laughs> times apparently. Because I didn't assume that that would happen again. I was like, I thought that was sort of a one-time thing. I started mm-hmm. to feel more press, like I was in MSN. That didn't take my server down. Then just two or three months later, uh, my face again was on the homepage of Yahoo. This time it had a link. So before there was no link, this time there was a link. I mm-hmm. had upgraded my site. <laughs> I got over 8,000 visitors in like less than two hours. Jeez. And it, yeah, and of course my site went down. <laughs> it, and my face was on the homepage of Yahoo for forty-eight hours. But my did your site come back up? Never came back up. Because I was trying to get them to switch it on the DNS, and I'm such a geek, I know that sort of stuff too. But uh, so you like trying to tell them what to do, and then <laughs> oh my gosh, I was oh, I was so not happy, so not happy. But, <laughs> my own fault it is so my own fault so I, what I tell people is I talk a lot about how to get press because I've gotten a lot of press and I tell people please don't do what I did please learn from me before this ever happens to you because there is so much I could have gotten at that point um, that I didn't and it's just a uh, it sucks so so if there's one thing you would overpay for in your online business it'd be hosting yeah. and it's have to be a lot I think I only pay like $70 a month right now which I know is a lot when you're first starting a blog I'm not saying you necessarily have to do that, but if you usually you'll know ahead of time if press is going to come out most of the time. So mm-hmm. You can always upgrade. It takes a couple of days. It should only take a couple of days. 
the host that I have right now, you can move your package and not have it be a big deal. So the previous host, it was a big pain in the butt. This one, I can go up knowing that there's going to be press and mm -hmm. back down after, and it's not a big deal. So I would just pay attention. Please pay attention to that. Right. So, so let's, give, let's shift gears a little bit. So you've interviewed 90 millionaires so far, and you're now you're writing a book. And so I'm sure you've learned a ton of stuff from these people, and you're coaching people in business right now. And so I looked up, you have, you have three habits that many of these millionaires have in common. Um, and this is from an, a downloadable ebook you guys can get on Jamie's website. And you have that they work hard, maximize opportunities, and invest in themselves. So I'd love to talk just briefly about each of these. So the first one, they work hard. So most of these millionaires um, probably are working more than four hours a week, you'd say? I did just interview Tim in Paris. So no, right. he's really working more than four hours a week. I know that for a fact. That's right. <laughs> Well, it's so funny because it's like hard work, uh, of course. You know what I mean? And it's kind of mm -hmm. comical. You're like, yeah, of course they have to work hard. Mm -hmm. I think one of the big keys and sort of what I talk about in the ebook is that it's that continuous forward motion. It's not just, yeah, I have to work hard. It's really pushing through those obstacles and getting past your excuses to mm -hmm. because we are so good at stopping ourselves, not thinking we're good enough. All those things, all that junk in our head that stops us from doing the work that we know we need to do, but we don't do. Just like with mm -hmm. selling me, I was like, oh, I don't want to do selling. Right. I'm not going to sell anything if I feel that way. And I didn't. And that's just made it even worse. So really getting clear on what that is and what you need to do um, to make that continuous forward motion and that progress keep happening, whether you have mm -hmm. to or not, really important. And so what are some ways that you do that? <laughs> I have a lot of excuses. So, and that's the thing that I think. Not everybody has excuses. Millionaires have excuses. Everybody has excuses. And I actually ended up asking Snowden about excuses because, you know, he's like the man and he creates so much stuff. And he goes, I think that in general, what we have to do is have one really good um, reason. So, in certain parts of his life, he can push past those excuses and get past that fear and do it anyway. He goes, mm -hmm. but other areas of my life, I succumb. He goes, nobody's Clark Kent. You know, nobody's Superman. Mm -hmm. And hey, like, so it's not like you have to have no excuses for anything that you do whatsoever, but really identifying what those are. And I give a couple uh, key ways of doing that. Um, one is to tell someone else to let you know when you're having an excuse. I'm really good at calling out people's excuses. I love coaching and I'll be like, that's an excuse. And they're like, oh, it is. And a lot of times we're not even aware of it. Like, I don't have any time, I don't have enough time. Totally an excuse. You just don't have your priorities set straight. That's mm -hmm. fine, people don't do that. But it's just an excuse for not getting you to do the things that you know you need to be doing. So there's tons of that stuff, but the first, the very first step is awareness and knowing what's stopping you first in order to get past them, definitely. No, I love that. We we renamed our mastermind group the No Excuses Mastermind because it was like you can call out anyone. Like at any time, you can be like, "That's just an excuse. I don't want to hear it." <laughs> so you like detect them. I'll be talking, and it's kind of sad because some people I'll be talking with, and even if I have like a little bit of a relationship with them, I'm like, "That's an excuse." Like, sorry, <laughs> I'm not really like I'll tell you like it is, but people need to know that that's just an excuse, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can be okay with that, but just to be aware, it's, it's huge, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the next one you have is, so the next one is maximize opportunities. So what do you mean by that? 
Okay, there is in business, when, when you're first starting, especially, we don't really know what is an opportunity and what's a distraction. Mm-hmm. We're like, yay, stuff coming in, please, yes, I'm going to do that, yes, I'm going to do that, yes, I'm going to do that. And it's more about them coming into us and us not going out and seeking. What I do with a lot of my clients is I really try and help them decide what is an opportunity and what's a distraction. Because focus is huge for an entrepreneur. We think we can do it all. We can't mm-hmm. <laughs> want to do it all. I mean, so many people are like, I want to do these four things. And it's like, you don't even have enough time to do two of them well, let alone four. And I'm guilty of this also. Mm-hmm. That focus to make sure that you're doing what's important and that those opportunities that you might be missing because you've got so many other things going on are maximized. So really paying attention and being strategic about the choices you're making in your business going mm-hmm. after that seem like they're going to give you the most bang for your buck, which we don't mm-hmm. really know. We might fail sometimes, which is fine. But right. really conscious and making that choice is huge. Mm-hmm. And then, then the last one you have is invest in yourself. So is that like financially with training? Is it in gear? Is it in gear. coaches? Like what kinds of things would you invest in? Gear. That sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in general, I mean, and this, this is another one of those things. Oh, invest in yourself. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But to me, it's just having that attitude of always wanting to get better, right? That's the, I mean, looking through the 90 plus millionaire interviews, they don't take complacency. They want excellence. Mm -hmm. And trying to get that excellence, you're going to have to do some digging. You're going to have to do some stuff you don't necessarily want to. A lot of times that does mean reading books and trying to figure stuff out. So many are readers, Seriously, at least 90% are readers. And the ones that aren't have like dyslexia or something like that. So yeah. <laughs> crazy. Um, so that's huge. But like coaching and all those things, people that are going to bring and bump up your level is huge. And a lot of the times, especially newer entrepreneurs, and I did this too because I came from the mindset of debt is not good and I need to be as cheap as humanly possible. I wasn't about value. Mm-hmm. I at the time that spending money is good if it's an investment. I like to sort of differentiate between spending and investing. Spending is just giving our money uh, for goods or services. Mm-hmm. But investing is giving money for goods or services with the expectation of gain. Like, I love that, yeah. That's the point, the expectation of gain. We're doing it for a really good reason. So that's sort of how I justify or at least explain what investing in yourself is. You're looking for that gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that because like you were saying earlier, you were spending $40,000 a year on an art education and later an IT education and you invested in yourself and it gave you these jobs and opportunities that you later were able to pay it back. And, and it's, it's harder to do that when you're bootstrapping your own business. I think it's harder to be like, okay, it, I might need this piece of equipment or I might really want to work with this coach, but I'm going to have to put it on my credit card or I'm going to have to pay it off over a year. And and realistically, those values are so much smaller, probably, than what you paid for a traditional four-year education. Oh, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's our though. I mean, we're conditioned that you need college, and that's the only way you can do things, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And we're also conditioned to, like, the small stuff matters. When I started with my mentor, he would go and spend money on things, and I was like, oh, my gosh, how do you know that that's going to work? How, how are you mm-hmm. throwing money at this stuff? And he's like, well, I'm looking to get it back. 
But I'm going, but you don't know. And how do you make those decisions? And it, I've learned so much going through this. And, and I'm the type of person that analyzes things and, and checks because I love to know. And it really did money afterwards. I'll do more of that. So that's really important. But mm-hmm. having this mindset of lack, I mean, we hear about that, you know, in many circles. But you're putting it out there to invest in yourself. If you're willing to spend dollars mm-hmm. a year on an education that I only did okay at because I was working 40 hours a week, that's not that's not in line at all. Imagine spending $40,000 investing in yourself every single year for four or five years. Mm-hmm. What you could actually do, not just have a yeah. piece of paper at the end. I don't know if I know of anyone that spends that much on educating themselves or investing in themselves after college. It's kind of a, okay, I'm going to do it for four years and then I'm done. Or maybe two more or something. Yeah, well, and we're really lucky is that we can buy books. If you bought a hundred books at 10 bucks a book, you know what I mean? You spend a thousand bucks. It's nothing. It's nothing. And that could increase your net worth. That could increase just your value so much. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. So it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, there's a library. You don't actually have to put any money into it. It's time investment. It's really paying attention to that stuff, which is really key. Yeah, I love that. I mean, education is just getting more and more um, democratized, really. Like the expense is going down to zero. Um, I'm really interested to see where higher education goes in the next 50 to 100 years because of that. But Having, having courses online from... Harvard and huge Ivy League schools, we have access to the exact same information. Huge, huge. Mm-hmm. We pay tons of money. So really, it is a piece of paper. It, mm-hmm. It's just a piece of paper, which is good, because I would rather learn stuff than have the piece of paper. And it, right. it's way cheaper, so that's awesome. <laughs> it's definitely way cheaper. So what's next for you, Jamie? What's next for Eventual Millionaire? You said you're working on a book, too. I am. So, yes, the book is sort of big. I just chatted with them. It sort of happened all within the last week or so. They're talking about book covers and all that fun stuff. So it's actually feeling like it's coming to fruition. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of going through um, all of these millionaire interviews and sort of pulling out the big pieces. Like, what did they do? What Those questions that you really want to ask. Like, what does the group of them do? Because I, I see a lot of books about millionaires and specifically, like, this is, I became a millionaire this way. You should do the same thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really curious. Ever since I was little, I wanted to be a millionaire. I know that's kind of weird. But I wanted to know, what do many of them do? Not just one. Like, what was many paths to success? So I can look through and start cultivating those things that are pattern. That way I don't waste my time and try and follow the network marketing guy and then realize that's not really for me. So mm-hmm. what those patterns are that many of successful millionaires are doing. So that way I can help people do that too. And it's another format of learning from people. Like you can get each person's individual story from start to finish, or you can lump them together, which I'm sure you're doing in the book, which is more based around themes or niches or stuff like that. I get that a lot. I go, I get what's the best millionaire interview. And I go, what do you need? Because there's a lot of really good millionaire interviews, but if it's not what you're working on right now, it's not going to be helpful to you. So it really took having that theme, does, it just doesn't waste your time. Not that the millionaire interviews aren't valuable in themselves, which they are, and you might glean something. But to me, if you're working on something specific, you should be working and reading that and then taking that and taking action. All about action. Things don't move unless you mm-hmm. So really doing that and then doing that. So hopefully that'll help people get that. Theme. Well, hopefully when you finish your book, you can just say, this is the interview that you should listen to. This is the best one right here. Yeah. <laughs> I want to have 
somebody go, okay, what's the best interview to, for me? And then fill out like a five question survey and go, these are your top three interviews. This is this. That's a great idea. You should do that. I should, I should do that. Yeah, let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. Um, your story is really inspiring. I mean, you completely changed your life around and now you're working for yourself and have the freedom that you want. I know you work 20 hours a week and you get to connect with all these awesome people. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me on, Caleb. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll hang out again soon. Yeah, of course. If you enjoyed this session, I've put together a Cubicle Renegade Toolkit with guides like the Get Paid Manifesto and the 10 Weeks to Financial Freedom email series. Head on over to www.pocketchange.com to get free access. Be sure to subscribe on either iTunes or YouTube and give us a review if you liked what you heard. Until next time, keep hustling. Thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade podcast at www.pocketchanged.com. To read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions, head over to cubiclerenegade.com.